what does the word conform mean? The word conform means to allow things from the outside to affect the inside. So when I conform, I allow the external to affect my internal. When I conform, I allow somebody to tick me off and then allow my anger to take control of my emotions. But when I transform, I allow what's in me to come out and transform what's around me. So what we want to do is we want to be transformers. But in order for you to transform, there has to be good in you so good can come out of you. So if there's evil in you and you transform, you are now going to affect everybody around you with what's in you. Anybody ever have somebody that just always carry just a negative attitude? They walk in the room and they change the mood. Y'all know some people like that? Somebody just walks into work and, and, and it's just like the whole room just gets dark. <laughs> Somebody laughing because y'all got that coworker. You know, they, they are actually transforming the nature of the room because what's in them is now coming out of them and it's having an effect on everybody. Now, let me ask you this question. Have you ever had somebody that is just always happy? Yeah, yeah, and they just get on your nerves because they're just too happy. Well, some of y'all, some of y'all know somebody like that. They come into work and they're smiling and, and they don't even drink coffee. That's that real happy. That's that happiness when it's eight o'clock and they walk in with joy and you like, yo, you don't get out of our face. But having that type of attitude, it transforms the office, doesn't it? Now you can't have an attitude. You can't yell back at them. And then if you, you start having an attitude with them, you feel a certain kind of way because they didn't even approach you that kind of way. And then it, it makes you check yourself because you're like, you know what? I'm wrong. So that's how we want to be. We want the love of God to be in us. We want the strength of God to be in us. We want the attitude of God to be in us so that when we walk in a room, we transform the room by the attitude of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Does that make sense? So we don't want to, the thing I love about Hope Haven, and I don't know what's in your heart, but there's something in this place that when you walk in here, you feel love. Am I the only one? Even when you don't want to feel love. Anybody ever come in here on a Sunday like, look, I hope Royce don't have that hugging part. I'm just tired. <laughs> yeah. All right, y'all, y'all fronting. I've had that. I've had some of them Sundays. I just sat here like, yeah, praise God. Hey, I'm tired. <laughs> and then, but, but somebody comes over and embraces you, and it just changes the attitude. And next thing you know, there's just a certain joy inside of the room. That's the kind of joy that God wants all of us to have. Amen. And the worst thing in the world is for folks to call themselves Christians and you not know it. Folks walking around saying they got the joy of the Lord and they just always look depressed. And you're like, where is the joy? But if we're going to call ourselves people of God and, 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 and children of God, we have to demonstrate his love wherever we go. So in the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, starting at the 15th verse, are you guys there? Romans 6 and, and 15, I'm going, to, I'm going to preach a little bit differently today. Usually I do uh, expository where I go verse by verse, uh, but I, I just want to flow a little bit today if that's all right. Y'all with me? So it says, what then? This is a rhetorical question. Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Absolutely not. Do you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are either slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God 
that although you used to be slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart the pattern and the teaching to you which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I am using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So that so what fruit was produced then from those things you are now ashamed of. The outcome of these things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life for the wages of sin is. But the gift of God is he in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In the book, uh, in the book, Lord, January 1st. December 31st, 1862. So nobody in this room been born. Some of y'all trying to remember it. That's how I know, I know what y'all did last night. December 31st, 1862. The children of Israel, the children of Israel, they, uh, was one of the greatest um, moments in African American history. December 31st, 1862 was one of the most joyous occasions in African-American history. Um, if any of you have ever been inside of an African-American church or you come from an African-American church tradition, we have something that we call watch night service. Anybody ever been to a watch night service? Y'all seen that on flyers. Tonight is watch night service. And most of the time, we don't even know what watch night means. The purpose of watch night was because on January 1st of 1863, all Africans' slaves were free. So it was a watch night service to be on watch because at 12.01, they were no longer bound to slavery legally. So there was a certain joy on the 31st because they knew that on the breaking of the new day, we were no longer legally bound to the injustice of racism in America. So on 1863, January 1st, at 12.01, I wasn't here. But I can imagine that it was probably one of the most joyous, exciting moments in African-American history. Because for the first time in their life, watch this, for the first time in their parents' life, for the first time in their great-grandparents' life, for the first time in their great-great-grandparents' life, for the first time in their great-great-great-grandparents' life, they were going to be free. We came over here in 1492. Don't let them fool you. We came over here in 1492 on Christopher Columbus' ship. Yep. We were actually one of the founding fathers of this country. Yep. Amen. And to be honest, we weren't founding fathers either because the natives were here before we got here. Exactly. Amen. I'm not, I'm not trying to go into, you know, I got you. I'm not on my liberation. <laughs> but just, just to be clear, that we, we were here in 1492. Uh, Christopher Columbus actually had a slave whose name was Americus. Y'all remember this story? Anybody read this story before? And he was actually an African slave 
that discovered the land and told Christopher Columbus to come check it out while they were on the ship on their way to Cuba, not America. Exactly. So from 1492 to 1862, we came over these waters in chains. Yes, and now on January 1st, 1863, the chains are finally released. Yes. Could you imagine the party that was going on at 1201 when they realized that they were legally free? Y'all with me? Twelve on one, they jamming. One on one, the party's just getting started. Two a.m., they at the Waffle House. Three a.m., now they at their house. Let me stop, y'all crazy. Four a.m., they partying. Five a.m., the sun shines. It's the dawning of a new day, and reality hits them. That although I am legally free. I have nowhere to go. I have no money in my pocket. I have no ownership. I have nothing that comes with this freedom. And the mindset of working to get something was too hard for some of them to comprehend. So what happened was there were some that migrated north, but then there were others that went back to their masters and they became what we call sharecroppers. Because internally, they could not see themselves free because all they knew their entire life was slavery. Y'all with me? All they knew for the last 400 years was slavery. And now all of a sudden, I'm free and I don't know what to do with my freedom. Come with me. Amen. So in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve are now sitting here with freedom. And they go to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they eat of this tree. And when they eat of this tree, they get blood poisoned with a sickness called sin. And from generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, although men tried to do what was right because it was in their nature to sin, they could not be free from sin. And they died in sinful nature. Abraham died in sinful nature. Isaac died in sinful nature. Jacob died in sinful nature. Y'all with me? Amen. Joseph died in sinful nature. Some of y'all reading your Bible like, don't be talking about my Joseph. They all, David, Solomon, the prophets, all of them died in sinful nature with no cure for eternity. Amen. They died in the grave with no hope. Amen. And now Jesus comes on the scene with a remedy caught his blood. He goes to Calvary's cross, he dies on the sin, dies on the cross, sheds his blood, gives us eternal life, opens up eternal life and opens up hope in the afterlife for us to have eternal life with him. You know what happened, y'all? 
we are now free from the slavery of sin. But just like those slaves in 1862, there were some of us that got up and did not know what to do with our freedom. So we went back into the chains of the slavery of sin. Because sometimes freedom seems too good to be true. Some of us have done some crazy things in our life. Don't you say amen. Yes, I have. All right, we got one person. <laughs> Praise God. I was trying to save y'all. Some of us. <laughs> Selena over there dying. <laughs> some of us. <laughs> have done some crazy things in our lives. Watch this. Y'all with me? Some of us have made some mistakes. Some of us have sinned. Not some of us. All of us have sinned. Let me be clear. All of us. Me too. All of us have sinned. Right? And what has happened now is now a preacher comes to you. He gives you a message of hope. And he teaches you something about salvation. He teaches you something about eternal life. You now come, you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Christ has died on the cross for the remission of your sins, and now you are saved. You are free. You are liberated. You have salvation. But now after salvation, what next? Y'all with me? After salvation, what next? What's next? And what happens is, if we all tell the truth, some of us came to the altar with a couple folks, and now we look back 10, 20, 30 years later, and about 80, 90% of them ain't there in church no more. I grew up with a whole bunch of dudes, a whole bunch of them, all of us. We all grew up in the church together. Those of you who came to, came to church with me and grew up in the church I grew up in, y'all remember, it was a whole bunch of us that gave our life to the Lord. We were saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost, filled, five baptized, all that. We did that speaking in tongues. We did it all. And now I look back, and a lot of them are nowhere to be found. Because although they have been, they were given the freedom, the idea of freedom seemed impossible. And they went back to the chains of sin. Because it was easier to stay bound to sin than to work through my salvation and sanctification and stay free. So watch this. When you are bound to sin, am I boring y'all today? When you are bound to sin, Satan has covenant with you. Amen. He has rightful ownership of your soul. Without Christ, Satan has rightful ownership of your soul. The Bible says that we were born into and shaken, shaken into, which means that the moment you came out of your mother's womb, you had sinful nature. Which means that the enemy had possession over your soul. Yes. And the only way that you can break covenant, I'm going to see who was listening two weeks ago, the only way that you can break covenant is how? Through God or through death. So the only way that I can break the covenant of sin off of my soul is I have to die. I'm, 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 I'm talking a little heavy today. I hope y'all with me. In the book of St. John, the third chapter, I told you I wish we had church, 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 but y'all can write all this down. 
Book of St. John, the third chapter, first verse. There was a man by the name of Nicodemus. Y'all remember that man? Yeah. He, 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 he had some clout in, in, in the Jewish world, but he came to Jesus by night and he asked Jesus a question. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, unless you are what? Both born of water and of spirit, you shall not enter into the kingdom of God. And then he answers the question. He says, well, how, how can I be born again? Must I enter into my mother's womb a second time? And I can just imagine Jesus looking at him like. <laughs> and he says, no, unless you were born of water and of both spirits, you shall not enter. Which means that I have to be born again in order to have a new covenant with God. Because that old flesh and that old person that I was is under the possession of Satan. So the only way that I can break covenant with the enemy is I have to die of that old person, come back with a new life in the spirit, and then connect with God, and then Satan no longer has possession over my soul. Are y'all with me today? So now what that means now is that I'm now under the control of God, and Satan no longer controls me. Now I know you're asking a good question. You're asking a question, well if that's the case, how in the world do I still sin? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. Yeah, you might still sin and you might make some mistakes, but the difference between the way you were in your old nature and the way you are in your new nature is in the old nature that sin controlled you. Yes, yes. But in this new nature, it's a mistake that you can confess, repent, and keep it moving. Yes, yes, yes. Amen. See, under your old nature, it was a lifestyle. Yes. But under your new nature, you recognize it, you rebuke it, you push it to the side, you ask God to forgive you, you keep it moving, and you look at that mistake and say, I won't make that mistake again. You have to understand that sometimes your setback is a setup. And there are some mistakes that we have made in our newness of walk that we had to learn, but we won't do it again. What you don't want to do is you don't want it to become a lifestyle. That's right. You don't want to come so callous in your sin. Are y'all with me? You don't want to become so callous in your sin that it becomes a lifestyle and you have no more conviction. Yes, amen. That's when you're back under the rule of Satan. When you get to a point that you can just do what you want to do and you get up in the morning and there's no conviction. You get up in the morning and you like, well, so everybody else is doing it. You get up in the morning and you like, well, at least I ain't doing it as bad as I used to do it. And you start making excuses for it. You're now in dangerous territory. So you have to understand that in our newness walk with in our newness with God, every single one of us is going to make some mistakes. I'm helping you. I know some of y'all are like, I'm saying yes, you are, and you're going to make some mistakes. There's going to be some thoughts that's going to come across your mind. There's going to be some attitudes and some anger that's going to rise up. There's going to, I'm going to go a step further. There's going to be some places you ain't supposed to be. There's going to be some things you ain't supposed to sip. But there should be a conviction that comes into you and says, I made a mistake. God, forgive me. And that is the process of sanctification. I told you it's an inside job. See what happens is, and I'm, I'm almost done. What happens is we do the first part. We come to the altar. We confess our sins. We believe in our heart. 
We even go as far as being baptized in water, but not baptized in spirit. Two different things. Because baptized in water is symbolic of dying of the old man. But there has to be a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So what happens is we go through all of that. But in the first thing that many churches teach us, because they're not taught correctly, and I'm not, I'm not judging, is they tell you to dress it up. But they don't deal with the issue inside. Amen. So now you're saved. Yes, you confessed your sin. Now you're baptized. Put a dress on. Put a suit on. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw no shade. Dress it up. Learn the church lingo. Giving out of God the first of my life. Y'all know all that. All y'all can play church. Everybody here can play church. They had something on, 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 on social media a couple months ago where it had the, the, the fill in the blanks. And I sat there and I, I, I filled in every single blank and I got it right. It was given on to the blank, who's first in my blank, to the blank, and the blank, and the blank, blank. And I'm like, given on to God, who's first in my life, to the pastor and the first lady. And I, I knew church. Because they teach you how to dress it up. But they don't teach you how to do the ex internal work. So what you have is you got a, a bunch of dressed up church folks that are messed up. Who have not done any type of internal sanctification. And they got the nerve to judge you. Amen. Because you don't look the part. You got the nerve to tell me I ain't saved over what I got on. But if we were going to do an internal dress code, <laughs> if we were going to do an internal dress code, a whole lot of folks would be going to hell. I, I hope I ain't going too deep today. So, we got a lot of folks that have got saved but have not got sanctified. Right, right. I remember back in the day, you used to get up and say, I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Y'all remember the testimony service? Come on. And fire. God, I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. And fire. And then you go and see your testimony. You made it known that I ain't just saved, this ain't just an outside job, but this is an inside job too. So in order for me to walk into this newness of life, I have to die of my old person, walk into the new person, and be completely used by God. Now, y'all with me? This is a good part to write a note. What is sanctification? I'm going to give you the, the Joel's definition of sanctification. The simple de definition of sanctification is to, to be set aside by God, to be a vessel used by him. Amen. That is an easy, easy Easy definition of sanctification. Yeah. Somebody asks you, if you sanctified, you got to think about that. Am I set aside for God so that I can be used by him? Are y'all with me? Yeah. So, one of the easiest scriptures that I, I could go to when it comes to being set aside by God is a man by the name of Abraham. Y'all remember Abraham? Yeah. The Bible says, now, I got to take you on a journey real quickly. Y'all know I like to talk you through the Bible because I don't like to just start yelling off and you might not have read this part. So, y'all remember Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve have two sons. What's their name? Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Oh Lord, I don't, I don't know who she says. Cain and Abel. <laughs> John and Mike. Cain and Abel, right? Cain did what to Abel? Cain killed Abel, right? 
So Cain killed Abel, and then Cain had a mark on him, and he was sent away, right? Yes. And then God gave Adam and Eve another son. Some of y'all are like, where that's at? Yes. Adam and Eve gave God another son. What was his name? Seth. Seth. So Adam and Eve, so a lot of times we don't hear about Cain and we hear about Seth. And so Cain, we don't know where Cain went. Cain's got a mark on his head, and, and, and he's somewhere. Abel is, 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 is dead. And, 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 and Seth now actually has to keep the world restored. Yes. So Seth has children. They have children. They have children. They have children. Now watch this. But Seth still has sinful nature in him. Yes. So because he's born in sin and shaping in iniquity, his children have issues. Yes. And then we hear about a man by the name of Lamech. Y'all ever heard about Lamech? Yes. What about Lamech? Somebody tell me about Lamech. Yes. Lamech killed some men and started bragging about his bragging about it to his women. Lamech is the first polygamist in the Bible. Yeah. He's the first man that has two wives. Uh-oh. Now we just keep going through the genealogies, because I know y'all don't skip Genesis 3, 4, 5. Y'all like, I don't know the names. And now we get to a man by the name of Noah. And y'all should know Noah. Yeah. Right? Noah gets a word from God that there is going to be a flood. But it takes hundreds of years for this yeah. flood, but Noah keeps on building his ship. <laughs> Noah saves his family. The, the flood comes, wipes out all humanity except for Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Yes. Y'all with me? Yes. He wipes all of them out, and now they end up on, uh, on dry, grand, dry land. God promises that he'll never do another flood like that again. Y'all read that? Yes. And then Noah gets drunk. Yes. Noah gets drunk. Yes. And when Noah gets drunk, he gets naked. Right. Sinful nature. And he gets naked, and his son Ham walks in on him and laughs instead of covering him. Right. And goes and tells his brothers. And his brothers take a, 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 uh, a garment, and they don't look, and they cover their father up. Now watch this. And then Noah, when he gets sobered up, he curses, not Ham. This, this gets rid of all that whole slavery thing about black folks being the seed of Ham. He... he, he he, he curses, not him, but he curses Canaan, who is the grandson of Noah. But Ham had other sons. And I ain't going to get into all that. Ham had the Cushites. Ham had the Egyptians. Ham had all of what we call modern-day Africa. So now we have Ham, Noah's son, Shem, and Japheth. We have three sons who now spread out amongst the world, and this is where we get all of these different cultures from. Are y'all with me? Yes. Am I talking too much? No. All right. So one day, they all decide that they're going to be one people. And they decide to build a tower that is going to reach God. And they call it the Tower of Babel. And then God does what? He destroys. I'm going to get into why God destroys it. That's a whole other message in itself. God destroys the table. It's a table. God destroys Babel. And when God destroys the tower, I'm saying tower and Babel at the same time. Table. I'm going to say that, Tabble. <laughs> and God destroys Tabble. Uh-huh. And when he destroys Tabble, he confuses their languages. And that's where we get different languages all around the world. That's right. That's right. Come on. But there's nobody that's lifting up the name of Jesus or lifting up the name of God at this point. Yes, sir. So the world is chaotic. Because we were born in sin and shaping in iniquity. So now the world is going right back to where it was before the flood. So what does God do? Is God has to find somebody that he can use, that he can set apart 
to be his person and they can have children and those people can be his people. Yes. So he goes into a land of idolatry. And this land of idolatry is called Ur of Chaldean, or Ur of Chaldean, however you want to pronounce it. And he finds a man by the name of Abram. Y'all good today. Listen to y'all reading y'all Bible. And he tells Abraham in Genesis 12 and 1 to depart from thy country, from thy kindred, and go into a land that I will show thee. What is he doing? He's sanctifying him. Because in order for me to use you, I gotta get you, I gotta get you away from everything that you were connected to in your past. Yes, yes. Are y'all with me? Yes. Abraham is an idol worshiper at this point. Abraham's daddy worships little uh figurines. I call them something else. If you watch Boys in the Hood, y'all know what that was. <laughs> they worship these 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 little figurines. They were idol worshippers. Y'all with me? Amen. And in order for God to use him, he has to separate him. But he gives Abraham complete instruction. He says, separate from thy country and separate from thy kindred into a land that I will show you. Which means only take you and your wife. Yes, yes. And the Bible says, and Abraham went, but took Lot with him. What did God tell him? Leave everybody behind. But Abraham took Lot with him. Lot was his nephew. Lot was the son of his dead brother. And Abraham starts having feelings for Lot and tries to bring him into a blessed place that God never told him to come with him to. When you are sanctified or when you are being sanctified, you got to leave behind any distractions. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. Because, remember, Abraham is the only person that heard the voice of God. And when you're hearing the voice of God, you don't need nobody around you that's going to ask questions. You sure God said that? You sure that's what God wants you to do? So what does Abraham do? Abraham has to leave Lot behind, but he takes Lot with him. And what happens? Because he's partially obedient, he gets a partial blessing. With a partial headache. Can I give you a, a deeper definition of sanctification? I'm almost done. I sound like you're, you know, a regular preacher now. I just keep saying I'm almost done. Can I give you a defini- another definition? It is to be set aside to be a vessel used by God. But in order for this vessel to be completely used by God, it has to be completely empty for God to completely fill it. Yes. Amen. So sanctification is the process of God taking all of the mess out of your, your, your vessel so that he can fill you completely with him and you can work completely in his purpose. When you have partial inside of you, partial issues, partial drama, partial pain, partial things that I can't get rid of from my past and God pours into you, you only can be used partially. You can never be completely used by God when you have issues in you that you won't allow him to remove. So Abraham has a lot in his vessel and God is trying to pour in him but because he's not able to be completely poured into by God, God can't completely use him. So what happens? We find ourselves constantly running in circles. Why am I always broke? 
Why am I always just keep going through this same thing? How come things just don't get better over here? And a lot of times we're blaming God, but we're not checking our vessel. What's still in you that hasn't come out of you so that God can be completely in you to use you? Oh, I just don't understand. How come bad things just keep happening? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not. God is sovereign. And there are certain things that we will just won't understand why he does. But there are certain things that are self-inflicted wounds. Yes. That's right. yes. Certain things you just keep on bringing on yourself. Exactly. And now you're running a hamster wheel in your life and you can't get off of it. And you just keep running in the same place. And you never try to examine yourself to say, what is inside of me that needs to be released so that God can completely use me and I can be complete of his purpose. Yes. So watch this. Lot walks with Abraham. And Abraham is partially blessed. Now we get to about Genesis 14. In Genesis 14, the Bible says that Abraham and Lot's herdsmen start fighting. The question I have is, would this situation have ever happened if you never bought Lot? So now you have conflict that never would have happened if you would have been obedient in the 12th chapter. The second question that I have is how did Lot get stuff? We know how Abraham got stuff. The Bible says that he went down into the land of uh, uh, Egypt and he went down in the land of Egypt and, and he lied and said that Sarah was his sister when it really was his wife. And Pharaoh was so afraid that he kicked him out and gave him stuff and said, just get out of here. So Abraham got all of his blessings through God. Amen. And because he has somebody with him, he's sharing God's blessings with somebody that doesn't even recognize his God. Yes. So now we have partiality of purpose. Does this make sense? Yes. Now... I somewhat understand my purpose, but I don't have a clear view of my purpose because I have things in my life that's hindering my vision. I hope y'all quiet because this is making sense. So the Bible says that when Abraham and Lot separated, God told him to look up. And when he looked up, he said, look around. And Abraham began to see parts of the land that he never seen when he had a lot with him. And God says, as far as you can see, east, west, north, south, is as far as I will bless you. But the reason why he could not see far was because he had people in his life hindering his vision. Sometimes your vision is hindered because of who you're connected to. Sometimes you can't see further of where God wants to take you because people are linked to you in your life that are in your ear telling you you can't do it. Oh, I used to have those kind of people in my life. You sure you want to do that? You sure you want to go back to school? I don't think it's even necessary. That ain't all. That ain't necessary. You don't need to do all that. You sure you want to buy a house? You know, the market is bad. 
You sure you want to get married? You sure that's the one? And what happens is you start listening to that stuff. And when you start listening to that stuff, your vision becomes limited. And what could potentially happen is you will miss that moment. Because now that moment has passed. And that person's in your ear. And you ain't going nowhere. Now, 20 years, from, 20 years from now, you decide to get rid of this person. You decide to get rid of this issue. You decide to get rid of this thing that's hindering your vision. But now you look back and you're 20 years late to what you could have already had. Preach. Is, is, is this making sense today? Yes, you are. Now I'm looking back. And the thing that I wanted is 20 years older. I'm saying God won't still give it to you. But now you're driving a, what year is it? Now you're driving a 99. In 2019. Because you allowed somebody 20 years ago to stop you from getting what God had for you then. Y'all with me today? And you just enjoy your 99 Civic. And we like... It's got 400,000 miles on it, but God is good. It's not what I've always wanted. You could have had this 20 years ago. I'm not knocking. Nobody got a 99 Civic. Please, y'all. Please, please. I'll drive it. Um, we are, we have to be careful. And I'm, I'm finished here now, for real. We have to be careful not to allow our vision to be contaminated by people that don't belong in our life. Amen. That's the truth. Amen. And part of sanctification, I hope this made sense today, is to be separated, cleansed, so that God can pour. That's right. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in about two weeks. I have to be separated, cleansed, so I can be poured into. Amen. And it's no good. I don't know about y'all, but I don't like old cups. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like somebody drinking out of a glass and then pour new juice in it. Uh-uh, I need a new one. I need a new glass. Because I don't like no old residue in my glass. I don't, I don't want no chunks. I don't want no, no flims. And that's what your life is like sometimes, though. You got a bunch of aftertaste and they look and talk about, God, fill me up. No, he like, ew. You need to pour out so that he can fill you up. So one of our prayers should be as, as God begins to pour things out of us, pull things out of us, now we need to be, our prayer should be, God, fill me up with you. Because as God fills you up with him, he fills you up with his purpose, and his purpose becomes clear. But as long as you have things inside of your vessel that is unlike God, your vision will always be skewed. I'm finished, y'all. Thank you. I want to have a special word of prayer today for um, anyone that heard the word today and said, I, I just, I, and I'm not going to ask you to come up to the front. I just want you to stay right where you are. You can stand to your feet if you want. If this word resonated with you and you said, Pastor, I, I, there's some things I need to get out of me so that God can pour his vision and his, 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 pour his spirit into me so my vision can become clear. I just want you to raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you. Yeah, come on. You got, I got some, some issues of forgiveness. I got some issues of hurt. I got some issues of pain. And I understand that I'll never be able to see my complete purpose 
until I'm able to pull these things out. I want you just to lift those hands. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you. Because I want our vision to be clear, man. For real. How many of y'all, how many of y'all you, you, you see your purpose, but you know it's bigger, but there's some things that's not allowing you to see how big this, this vision is that God has in you? I, I, I want God to pour his complete purpose in me so I can do his complete will while I'm here on this earth. I, w- I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you for every hand that's lifted. I thank you, Lord, for this word on today, God. It's a little tough, a little harsh. But it's necessary. And God, today, God, we ask God that as we set ourselves aside for you, that you pull the things out of us that are unlike you. That you pull the things out of us, God, that are hindering our purpose and hindering our vision. God, that you pull these things out of us, God, that we know that you're not pleased with, God. Allow us, God, to release these things from our lives. God, as hard as it is, God, God, give us the courage and give us the strength to release these things, God, so that we can be completely used by you. For God, your purpose is greater than any type of design in our mind, any type of blueprint or plan that we have of our own. God, it will not work without you. God, fill us with your spirit on today. God, anoint us afresh. God, just pour, pour into our hearts, God. Cleanse us, God, with your word. And God, we thank you right now, God. For God, I believe that this is still time, God, for this to be the best year of our life. God, our vision is going to be clearer. God, doors are going to open. Things are going to make sense. Things are going to become clearer. And we thank you right now. And we give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you for listening. If you would like to partner with us or make a donation, please visit our site at www.go2hopehaven.org. Our mission statement is to reach, evangelize, accept, and love. Your contribution will be a blessing to many in our local community, nationally, and even internationally. Again, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more next week.